0: Welcome to the Sunday Messages podcast from New Hope Church in Cape Coral, Florida. Our mission is to glorify God by making fully devoted followers of Christ, by belonging together, believing in Christ alone, and blessing our world. And wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we pray today's message brings you hope and help along the way.
1: Amen. Amen. Well, I've enjoyed that uh, little bumper video, we call it, but it was the last time we're going to see it. We are finishing up our series in the book of First Thessalonians today, this weekend. It's been it's been a wild ride. I, I look forward to Second Thessalonians, not right now. We have a fantastic series coming up in September to, to take us all the way through the fall until we get to Advent. I'll tell you more about that series later, but it's going to be really cool. I can't wait to dig in. But as we finish First Thessalonians, I was reading through, the very end, I almost think God saved, well, I don't know if we can really say the best for last, because that's not fair. I've been amazed myself how similar a little bitty brand new church in the city of Thessalonica 2,000 years ago, how similar their situation is, how similar the the, the lessons they needed to learn, the, the things they needed to walk through back then are similar to what we're going through here, what we need to learn today. But as we get to the end, I, I almost want to say this is, was well, not the best for last, and certainly the, um well, the weirdest for last, the most complicated for last, I'll tell you what I mean. As I was preparing, uh, I started thinking about, about end times and end of life and, and what's really important. I'll, uh, you'll, expl- you'll understand in a minute when we read the text, I was looking online and talking to folks and reading books all week about, about important things and important questions You've heard these questions before. Maybe you've asked these questions before. Questions like, why am I here? Where did I come from? Questions like, why am I here? What is my purpose in life? Questions like, where am I going? What's next after this life? Because we want to know. Where did I come from? You know, did I come from, from monkeys? Did I come from some kind of primordial soup? Did Mars zap me down here? Why am I here? What's my purpose in life? What's the meaning to all of this? And also, where am I going? What's, what's next? Is this all there is? Or, or is there something else? As I was reading online, I I saw a quote of a young man who said he was an atheist. He had had no belief in God or religion. This is what he said about, about the next thing. He said, I have no religion or belief in the afterlife. Not knowing what comes next, that keeps me up at night. I don't know who to ask or where to find the answer. I just wish I could find some peace about my life after this life. That's our world. Those are the people we work with. Those are the people that live right next door. People have questions. All of us struggle with this question. What's next? What happens after I die? What happens to grandpa and grandma after they die? What's next? Well, That is a big question, and there's all kinds of answers in God's Word. We won't have time to find all of them, but the very end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 into chapter 5 answers this question for you and for me, for believers. We very much know what happens next, and here's a little inside tip. It's all good. We as believers, we are hope-filled when we face death. Why? Well, we're hope-filled because we know what to expect. We're going to read it in just a minute. We are hope-filled because we know what we believe. We're going to read that in just a minute. And we are hope-filled because we know what really matters. Again, we're going to read that in just a minute. So, If you have your Bibles, open up with us one more time to the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're going to start in chapter 4, starting in verse 15. If you have your Bible, you can open up. If you have your phone, you can aim it at the QR code and the Bible text. The sermon notes will pop up there. Or you can just kind of follow in the screen behind us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're actually going to start with Verse 15. While you're finding that, put your finger in it, hold on, uh, keep your finger on the button, we're going to get to it. Let me give you a little backstory one more time. You remember the deal, if you're, if you're new, this is what's happening with this book of First Thessalonians. Paul, he was in another place, he had a dream of a man in Macedonia calling out, come over and help us. The dream didn't give him the man's name or even a city, a location to start out. So he and his, his cohorts, they left where they were. They came to Macedonia. They started out in Philippi. It started out well in Philippi, but eventually he gets thrown in jail, even kicked out of town. He winds up in Thessalonica. He's able to stay there only just a few weeks, at least three that we know of, but probably too, not too much longer beyond that. He gets kicked out of that town again for preaching the gospel. He gets to Berea, the next town, as he's preaching. He's seeing some reception. It looks like it's finally starting to take hold. Just then, that same mob who had kicked him out of uh, Thessalonica walks, marches. I don't know, maybe they ran 50 miles just to kick him out of Berea and on to Athens. Athens, the same thing. Now he's in Corinth kind of licking his wounds, trying to figure out, is this even worth it? I'm sure that little bitty church way back in Thessalonica, I was only there a few weeks, not more than a few months. I'm sure they've thrown in the towel by now all the persecution that is on them. But then he gets this fantastic report from Timothy. No, they're not only surviving in their faith, they're actually thriving. In their faith. And so Paul writes this letter back to the Thessalonians to kind of encourage them and let them know it's okay. And here's some further teaching for them. So here's a problem. As he's giving this report, one thing pops up, now there have been some other things, and he's already addressed them, we've talked about them in the, in the weeks before, but one thing pops up that, I don't know, maybe surprised Paul, I know it surprised me, because here's the deal, in those brief weeks that he was with them, Paul found time somehow to talk about the end times, the end of the world, the end of life, and what comes next. I mean, if I only had a few weeks with you, I don't know that I would lead with that, I would talk about, I don't know, love and, and caring for each other, discipleship, digging into God's word, how to pray, just the basics of the faith, but not Paul. He goes right to the end times, eschatology, what happens when we die. This is heavy stuff, especially for brand new baby Christians. So these folks were different, these folks soaked it up. I mean, they couldn't. they couldn't hear it fast enough. As soon as Paul was preaching, teaching, sharing it, they were believing it. So these folks bought that hook, line, and sinker. When we die... We don't stay in the ground. Just like Jesus didn't stay in the ground. Jesus died, was buried for three days. He's in the ground, and then God resurrected him. That same resurrection power that rose Jesus from the grave is going to raise me. We are going to be resurrected. We're going to go be with Jesus in heaven. They believed every word of it. Until Jesus didn't come back like he said he would. I mean, Paul, if you read Paul at all in the New Testament, you'll see this over and over again. Paul, in my opinion, he was very much of of the opinion that Jesus, when he would return to grab the saints, take them with him into heaven, it would be soon. You remember one of the last words from Jesus, I go ahead of you to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you might be also, but don't worry, I'm coming back to get you. He said that. And so Paul's preaching that. He's believing it. The Thessalonians are believing it. But suddenly, Uncle George dies. And Grandma, she passes away. And little bitty Mikey, he falls into the river and he drowns. Jesus hasn't come back yet. What happens to these folks? I thought no one was supposed to die. I thought Jesus was coming so soon that he would take us and none of us would see death anymore. Maybe maybe Grandpa wasn't a Christian. Maybe maybe grandma, maybe she didn't really believe in her heart. Is that what's going on? So they're asking Paul these very hard questions, even to the point of saying, maybe maybe Paul was wrong. Maybe even worse, maybe it was all a hoax to begin with. Maybe it was all a made-up story, and we're a bunch of suckers. Is that what's going on, Paul? And so in response to that, Paul conjures up all the reassurance he can, and he writes this letter back, outlining what's going to happen, the facts, nothing but the facts, but also what that means for our faith today as we wait for this day. So, so that's the background. That's what we're about to read. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, let's start with verse 15 and answer the question, and just look at the idea of, of why we're hope-filled. We're hope-filled because we know, based on God's word, we know what to expect. Verse 15 says this. So according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede, come before, those who have already fallen asleep. Who had fallen asleep? The ones, the believers who had already died. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with, number one, a loud command, number two, the voice of an archangel, and number three, the trumpet call of God and... The dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive, you and me, and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds, in the air, to meet the Lord of the air. Now let's hold on right there. Let's just talk about this. This is kind of the breakdown, the the play-by-play, the step-by-step understanding, description of what's gonna happen on that day. This is important for us to understand. Part of the confusion that came in, because when, when Paul originally wrote this back to the folks, it was purely to encourage them, to comfort them, to to calm their fears, to kind of explain how it's happening. No, no, Uncle George and Grandma, they're not lost forever. It's all a part of God's plan. Don't worry. God knows what he's doing. That was the original purpose. The problem is we, in time, started combining this story with other stories, like one from Jesus himself in Matthew 24, one from John over in Revelation 19 and 20, over in Corinthians from Paul, again, something. And and some of these stories sound similar, but they're not quite the same. And because of that, it caused confusion. It caused discord. It caused even division and arguments inside the church. So let's see if we can pull this apart. Number one, this story is about a couple things. The resurrection of the dead, but also what's called the rapture. Now, I'll explain that word in just a minute, but it's the snatching up, the calling up of those who still believe. The other event that is depicted in the Bible, for instance, in Revelation 19, 20, is the the final judgment, the second coming of Christ, where Jesus comes all the way down to earth and he defeats the enemy. That's that's another event, very similar, and some of the wording sounds the same, so it is confusing for some of us. Let me try to pull it apart. This story that we're going to read here is very much an idea that God is calling his people to him. In fact, the Bible says he doesn't even come all the way to earth. He stops in the air. We'll explain that in just a minute and calls us up to him. In the second coming, Jesus comes all the way down to earth because he is going to engage the enemy and destroy the enemy. In this story, we're going to read that it comes in the twinkling of an eye when no one is expecting it. The second coming, that that coming where he comes to defeat the enemy, the evil one, there are all kinds of signs, chapters full of signs that we will see. We will know it is almost here. This is very different. It depends on on our understanding of that, what the Bible calls the tribulation, that period of difficult time that happens before, before God rules and God takes over. And, and, and this is all a very complicated part of it. But one thing, this is what we need to know about this. Right here in the Bible, it says this. In fact, let me, let me show you in chapter 5, verse 2, it says this. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write you, for you know very well the day of the Lord will come. How? like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. We need to know that this is imminent. It could come at any time. There are no signs we need to be watching for. For this event, it comes in the, in the blink of an eye. Uh, verse 17, we just read it again. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up. That word caught up means snatched up. Plucked up again in the twinkling of an eye, without anyone knowing what's coming. Second of all, we need to understand that Jesus is coming personally. Did you just hear what it said? Jesus said, I am coming for you. This is huge. This is so important. Jesus, he's, it's not like he's been up in heaven for 2,000 years. He's kind of gotten into things up there. He's super busy up there. It's a long time since he was down with us. He doesn't quite have time. He'll send an angel or, or maybe a whole army of angels to grab us and bring us back home. No reason for him to come himself. No. Jesus himself comes. Do you remember one of the last things he said? We just said it. Don't worry, I'm going ahead to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. But don't worry, I'm coming back to get you. This is Jesus keeping his promise. He promised to come back. He's coming back. And then he also said, uh, when he comes, uh, Jesus said, "I, I wouldn't miss this moment for all the world. He'd been waiting 2,000 years up to this point, and we don't know when that day will come, but all of those years to come back. What is one of the words that God calls the church? The bride of Christ. Men, men, <laughs> imagine you were waiting 2,000 years for your bride. I'll bet you'd be ready to go on that day. You'd be on the balls of your feet the moment the father says, go, Jesus is coming to get his bride because he loves you and he loves me. And we also need to understand that when he comes, it's going to be very clear. There's, there's a command, there's a voice of an angel, there's a trumpet. The command is to say, same word as, as a military command. Many of you uh, fighting men and women that served in the military, you know exactly what this sounds like. When, when an officer gives you a command, that is not a request. You don't talk about it. You don't debate the, the merits of his idea or her idea and your idea and, and which way it should go. When the command comes, you respond immediately. Slowed response Delayed response is disobedience. You respond, this is how it is. That voice of an angel is that picture of authority. The angel, Angelos, the messenger of God. He's coming speaking the words of God. And then that trumpet sound over and over again in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, we hear the trumpet. The trumpet's so important. Again, you military folks, you would know how important communications are on the battlefield. Comms are crucial, possibly the most important tool you have on the battlefield. It is a matter of life and death. Death, if you can communicate well with your troops, stop, proceed, pull back, flank, it could be life and death for the fighting men and women out in front if they don't hear a clear call clear communication, this is going to be very clear. That trumpet is is loud, it is clear, it is sharp, it is piercing, it is unmistakable. If this day comes in the middle of worship and that trumpet call comes in the middle of worship, you are not going to turn to your neighbor and say, did you hear something? You're going to know because of the command of Christ. Think about that command for a minute, that word from Jesus that that sets in motion this incredible, almost otherworldly experience. What in the world do you think he's gonna? What in the world do you think he's gonna say? I mean, what word, what word is enough to call every believer on earth into the air to be with him, announcing the great plucking up, the snatching away, the rapture of the believers. What word will he say, come? Will he say now? Will he say, finally? Will he say, let's go? Will he say, come home? The problem for many of us is we have become so attached to this place. We call it home, wrongly so. This believer, this is not your home. Let go. But we've become attached. And so the powerful name of Jesus, the powerful name that when he was in the middle of the storm, he used two words, be still in a storm that was threatening to kill the disciples. The Bible says two words were put together that had never been put together in the Bible. A great stillness happened when, God said, when Jesus said those words. Or when Jesus called to Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. With his voice, that happened It's a good thing he said the word Lazarus first, because if he had just said, come out, all the dead folks would have come out of their tombs. This is a powerful name, voice of Jesus. And when he calls, you're going to know it, and you're going to come running. And then it says... The dead in Christ will rise first. Who are these dead in Christ? This is exactly the question the Thessalonians had. Who are these dead in Christ for us? It's the the, the brothers and the sisters. But, but if they've been dead for a week or a month or 10 years or even longer... How is that supposed to work? I get it when you and I are caught up. We still look roughly like we do now. But what about Uncle George? He passed away in the military, actually in the Navy, somewhere in the Pacific. How is God going to manage that? And, and old Aunt Margaret, she had herself cremated and spread over Graceland so she could be with Elvis forever. How is that going to work? God has a plan. Let me, let me jump you all the way to 1 Corinthians Same writer, Paul, now answering this question to the church in Corinth that he's talking about here in Thessalonica. He says this, but someone will ask, how were the dead raised? With that kind of body, will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the whole body that will be just one seed, perhaps of weed or something else so will it be on the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. By the way, that's the new motto of our freshly renovated nursery in the back. We will not all... 52, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. As good looking as you are right now, it's going to be even better. As good looking as your 21 year old body was, it's going to be even better. As as powerful as you once were in your life here on this earth, which is not your home, it's going to be even better. Because the imperishable, imperishable the spiritual is way better than the perishable and the fleshly. God is going to catch us up and bring us there. This idea of catching up is also important for you and for me, because Lord willing, he is coming while we are still here. It means to snatch up, to, to pull up, to, to, to take unaware. Uh, some folks argue with the, the whole idea of the rapture, because the word rapture is not in the Bible. It certainly is. It's right here. The Greek word for snatch up, grab up, is harpazo. We are being harpazoed on that day. You may remember that we've said many times the New Testament was written in Greek. That's where we get the word harpazo. That's a Greek word. Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Well, the first time the Bible was ever translated into another language, it wasn't, it wasn't English or, or, or German or, or Spanish. It was actually translated into Latin. Right here, this word harpazo is the Latin word rapere where we get our English word, rapture, rapery, rapture. That is the word. It is right here in the Bible. It means to snatch up unaware, to, to capture, to, to pull away in the twinkling of an eye. Now, it says something else very important, and very interesting here. It says when Jesus does this snatching up, that we're going to meet him, not in heaven. The Bible clearly doesn't say, and I'll be waiting for you. I got the table set. We got all the silverware out, we got, we got the fancy silverware even, we're, we're ready for you, we got a big banquet, a big party, I'll be waiting in the foyer, y'all come, and we'll get this party started. That's not what he says. Jesus, I'm going to snatch you up, grab you, rapera you, uh, uh, harpazo you, pull you up, and I'm going to meet you in the air. Why? Is he, is, is he trying to meet us halfway? Make sure we don't get lost all the way to heaven. It's kind of far away. Maybe he wants to make sure we all come together. Is that, is that why? Why didn't Jesus just come all the way down to earth and grab us here and then go up with us? Why does he meet us in the air? You Bible scholars, you might remember this. Over in the book of Ephesians, we understand that there is someone called the ruler of the air. do you remember who that guy is? The evil one. Satan. The devil, the Bible in Ephesians 2-2 uh, calls the enemy, the, 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 the enemy of your soul, of my soul, the, the ruler of the air. So what is Jesus saying here? In my opinion, I believe Jesus is coming down and he's purposely stopping right there. He is rolling up on Satan right on his front yard. He's saying, this is where I'm going to meet my people. I want everyone to know, and he's going to rattle those keys, the keys to death and hell. I have the victory. Folks, y'all meet me right here. We're going to have a picnic right on his front yard. And before we go to heaven, he might send us on ahead. I bet he's going to do some donuts right in the grass because he is in control. The devil has lost, and he doesn't want him to miss that teachable moment. I believe God wants everyone to know that Jesus has defeated death and hell and the enemy. Number two, we have this hope-filled life because we know not only what is coming, but we also know, know what we believe. Look at verses 13 and 14. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope, for we believe that Jesus died and he rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So not only do we, do we understand we have this hope because we understand what's going to happen God was good enough to give us the steps so we understand some of us really like to know what the steps are. It assures us, it comforts us. Thank you, God, for doing that. But He also wants us to understand we are hope filled because of what we believe. He says, I don't want you to grieve. Now let's take a break there, read the whole sentence. Did God say we're not supposed to be sad when people we love die? Is that what God's saying? Do not grieve. When grandma passed away, do not grieve at the death of a child. No, that's not what God is saying. He is not saying suck it up, uh, have more faith, pray harder. If you shed a tear, it shows that you're weak in your faith. That is not at all what God is saying. Here's the deal. We, we humans, we, we understand death for the very first time when someone close to us dies. When that icy hand of death lands on a loved one, that is the first time we comprehend, we are confronted with the, the, the finality of that, 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 that. Up to that point, it is only theoretical. Up to that point, it is only abstract. Up to that time, it is something that happens to other people. But when that happens, we are confronted with the finality of death. But in the middle of the pain and the separation, that, rea- that, that reality, that finality sets in, it shows us a new level of pain that we have never experienced before up to that point. But as believers, you and I have an opportunity. When the world outside of the family of God, when they're looking at you before, during, And even after that grief-filled period of your life, the loss of someone you love, they should be able to say at the very end of that, that guy, that gal is different. They're not like me. They have something I don't have, and that's hope. We have hope. This is what God's word is teaching. Not that we can't grieve at the death of a loved one, but in our grieving, we are showing hope for what is to come. How do we get there? It says it right here in 13 and 14. It says, number one, do not be ignorant. This is your opportunity. I only have a few minutes to share out of this one passage. There are a number of passages in the New Testament that talk about this. It's now on you. Dig in, God says. Don't be ignorant. Read God's word. Study the scriptures. Ask questions. If you want to read even beyond the Bible, a great book, John Piper, a guy that a lot of us trust, he wrote a book called Come, Lord Jesus. Fantastic. Specifically on this topic. Do not be ignorant, the Bible says. Second of it says, we need to redefine our understanding of death. Redefine our understanding of death. You probably picked up there that that those who had passed, the believers, they were asleep, the Bible says. Obviously, they weren't asleep. They were dead. This is not just a euphemism. It is an accurate description of what is going on now. Now, let me, let me explain something here. When I talk about they were asleep, the, the Bible uses that word to describe that this is not death. Death is a finality. There's no, nothing that comes after death uh, normally, but, but for, human, for Christians, there is. This is not some kind of new agey soul sleep. This is not some kind of uh, false theology uh, purgatory. This is not some idea of of, of just hanging out until God calls your name because the Bible is very clear. It says over and over and over again, when we are absent from the body— In that very moment, we are present with the Lord. So there's no such thing as as hanging out in some special waiting room before we get into heaven. There's no such thing as sleeping it off until God calls our name. No, immediately we are with him. But to understand that the death that we as Christians understand it is not the end, but it is the beginning, is a transition to that which is to come. And then finally, we need to understand the connection between between the gospel message that we have and what eternity looks like for the believer, for the Jew today, but even more so in those days, the tradition was this, that every Jewish person would die two times. The first time is when your heart ceased to beat and you stopped breathing. That would be your first death. The second and final death would be when the very last person who knew your name, the very last person who could call out your name publicly, would pass away. That was your second death. You remember the most often given command in the entire Old Testament? Zahor, remember, is key to the people of God. Remembering all that God had done for them, obviously, but even remembering grandpa and, and grandma and great, great, great aunt, uncle, people that were part of their family, they would call out their names at celebrations. They would call out their names at birthday parties. They would call out their names when the family would get together. So they would never, that is how they would live on after their death. We don't depend on that. We don't depend on dreams. We don't depend on, on myths. We don't depend on, 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 on memories. We depend on the gospel. Let me read it one more time. Right there, verse 14 says this. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. That is the gospel. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep. This is it. God proves his authority over death by raising Jesus. And then God promises that you and I will be with him in the end. And then thirdly, we are hope-filled as believers because not only do we understand, uh, you know, what what the process is and what's what's coming, but we also understand uh, why this all matters. Look at verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And that's all that we've just read up to this point. So encourage each other with these words, what we just read. That word encourage we've had before. Almost, actually, almost every single week in this story, Paul loves this word. It's, the word for encourage in the original language is one of the names of the Holy Spirit. You remember we talked about it. Encourage means this. It means to, uh, to come alongside somebody, kind of, kind of put your arm around them, and then to speak words of power and encouragement into their ears so they can go forward in the power of the Lord. That's what, that's what encouragement means. The Holy Spirit does that for us and that's what we are to do for each other. That's the, the biblical word. So, so Paul's using that same exact word. So we're supposed to come alongside each other put our arms around each other, and whisper words of this, these words into our ears. I get the idea of encouragement. I get the idea of pouring into, strengthening, uh, uh, speaking words of power into each other's ears and hearts and spirits, but why specifically these words? How are these words, this story, this story, I mean, you got to admit it. I know we're in church, but this is a weird story. It's no no weirder than a, a guy getting born of a virgin, a a guy getting swallowed by a fish, a, a guy walking on water, a guy feeding 5,000 men with a couple of fish and, and a few loaves of bread, but it is still a weird story. This is, this, is, this is far away. This is eschatology. This is theology. This is doctrine. This is a story for the Bible geeks, for the religious fanatics. This isn't an everyday story for those of us that are, that are still living and working and, and a part of this world. This sounds too strange. Why would these words specifically be the encouragement that we as believers need today? I think there's three reasons. Number one, it reminds us that death is not final. We will see our believing loved ones again in heaven. We will have a new body, whatever that looks like and and whatever that feels like, but it will be new and it will be heaven made. I promise it'll be better than what we got now. And we will also be with Jesus always. Folks, I, you guys are nice folks. I'm, I'm a nice guy. We, we try to do our very best. We, you know, we come to church most weekends. We, we read our Bible a lot. We pray every day for sure. We try to do the right thing when we're out in the world. We try not to do the wrong thing when, when folks aren't watching. We try, we, we're nice. We feel like we are with God and God is with us. Here's the deal. That's nothing I mean, that is nothing compared to what this Jesus be with us and us be with Jesus when we get to heaven. That is an intimacy that none of us have ever imagined. It is the, the most intimate time of worship you've ever experienced times a cabillion. That's what it looks like. That's what God is promising. And all it takes to get there, well, either either the resurrection or the snatching up. It's not my choice, that's his choice, but I'm ready to go. Second of all, it gives us a sense of urgency. We understand that it could happen in the twinkling of the eye. It, we understand that it could happen in the, in, the, in the flash, in a moment when none of us expect us. That is when it's gonna happen. That is so important for our lives. It is so important for us to to understand how we organize, how we prioritize our lives, our our time, our our money, our, our, our resources, how we invest in others, how we hold back. On the mission field, we were church planters, I've told you all many times, but for the last number of years on the mission field, I also had the responsibility to train up new missionaries when they'd get on the field. We were the old guys training the new guys. So, so one of the things we would teach them, especially as they were ending a term, a term was either two years or four years, About six months out, I'd meet with the guy and meet with the gals and say, "Okay, guys, you got six months left on the field before you either go home for a a sabbatical or or maybe they were returning for good. But either way, you have six months. I say I don't want you to make any more new contacts. Don't don't go looking for any more new friends. I want you to take these six months and I want you to pour in to every relationship God's already given you. Every conversation counts. Every word that you say matters." Every prayer that you pray and and an appointment that you have could be eternal for the people you talk to, use every minute. And you could see the lights, their their eyes light up with the the urgency of those six months. And I'd I'd get reports, I'd get texts, I'd get emails from them about all that had happened, more happening in those last six months than it happened to three and a half years up to that point because that sense of urgency, that is what God is calling us to have. And then I, I also believe this gives us a sense of clarity. Again, as we come to the end and we understand that it could happen in the moment of an eye, and all that we've been building, <laughs> all that we've been saving, all that we've been working towards, all that we've been hoarding up and squirreling away for ourselves, like that, it is meaningless. Like that, it is meaningless. What if, what if starting today, this moment, we all lived like we truly understood that? I'm not saying sell everything you have, give it all away, and go live on a mountaintop somewhere. But what if we had a real understanding that none of this really matters? That our home is not here. Our home is in heaven in one day, either by resurrection or by rapture, being snapped up by God. Either way, we're going, and none of this stuff that we've stored up, saved up, worked up is going to matter at all. How would that change how we relate to others, to our kids, to our church family, to God? This is what God, this is why these words are the encouragement that Paul was sending back to the Thessalonians and why I believe we have them in our Bible today. This is encouraging. This is challenging. This is where God wants us to go. Are you with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for guys like Paul, who, as we've prayed before, just told it exactly the way he saw it. You gave him a word, you gave him an idea, you gave him a picture, you gave him a command, and he didn't know any better but to just follow it with all of his heart. God, I pray that you would make us more like Paul, obviously more like Jesus, that we would understand what that looks like. God, that this city would be changed, Cape Coral would be changed like the city of Thessalonica was changed because a small group of believers decided to live like Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Amen.
0: Thanks for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. You can find more free resources, learn about our church, and partner with us financially when you visit us online at newhopecapechoral.com. Also, if you have a question or a story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line on the contact page, once again, at newhopecapechoral.com. Finally, if this message was a blessing to you, would you take a moment to share that blessing with others? You can do that by subscribing on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen, and by leaving a review to share your story with others. Thanks again for tuning in and for helping us share the hope of Jesus with the world he loves. We'll see you next time.